The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, we're looking at John 3:16 to 21. It's some of the most popular verse of the whole Bible. And I'm not going to read the whole text that's in your bulletin, verses uh, 1 to 15. We're going to start at verse uh, 16. Um, let me ask you, just as you think about, I mean, here we're going to talk about God's greatest gift that he's given. And um, can you turn off the base module? I think that thing's giving me some feedback. Um, when you think about Christmas and what you look forward to, maybe the, perhaps the best gift that you've ever gotten for Christmas, uh, what would you, do you remember, like, you know, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Like, what is going to be so great about tomorrow that's going to be uh, better than a week from now that it's, you know, um, you know, so often we, we have such high expectations of what, you know, this great, great gift is going to be. And God has actually given us the greatest gift ever, which is his son. And I think about the greatest gifts that I ever got as a kid. The one that I particularly remember was being a huge Redskin fan as a little guy. And one year for Christmas, my brother and I both got really nice jerseys. And I had the John Riggins jersey, and my brother had the Joe Theismann uh, jersey, and we got a football. And it was like, man, we had arrived, you know. And this is, this is actually when the Redskins were actually kind of decent, you know. <clears throat> Lots changed since then, um, but uh, that was we thought we had arrived. And one of the the fun gifts that I remember that my my dad got my mom one year was he got her a really nice Seiko watch. But the way to trick her was he put a brick on both ends of the box, and so she had this super heavy gift. And you know he wanted her to guess what it was. You know, of course, you know she's you know this thing's unbelievably heavy and had a brick on both sides. I don't know if you remember, do you remember that. And uh, so those were good times. And then there was, of course, the time my dad was telling me that he knew he was getting slippers for Christmas. I know that I'm getting slippers for Christmas. And I said, you peaked. And then he knew that he was getting slippers for Christmas. And mom was pretty upset at me that I'd blown the gift. And I just blurted out, you peaked. Well, I kind of revealed too much. Well, some of the greatest gifts that have been given in the history of the world are the Taj Mahal was actually a gift. Uh, she had died. It was more of a memorial. The Statue of Liberty. And that gift came with some, some uh, interesting things with it. It took four months to assemble the thing when it, when it came over from France. And, uh, but obviously we're still enjoying the Statue of Liberty. And then back in the late 80s, I think it was, uh, in Yonkers, New York, there was a policeman, police officer, that uh, with the waitress, he said, um, we, do you want me to just pay? He would dine out at this place all the time. It was kind of the police officer hangout. And he said to the lady who's always been waiting on him, do you want to, a regular tip or would you like to share a lottery ticket together? And she got excited about the lottery ticket and they went in together on the lottery ticket. She helped him pick the numbers. He calls her the next day, which was April 1st, April Fool's, 
And he's insisting that, no, we won. We won the lottery. And she didn't believe it at first because it was April 1st. But he convinced her, no, we, we won. So they literally, he shared his half. And this gift to her of not, thankfully, she didn't take the tip because her, 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 her portion was $3 million, You know, it was $6 million. They each got a payout of $285,000 for 21 years. They since made a movie out of it. It was um, with Nicolas Cage. Uh, it could happen to you with the waitress. And it's only about 5% reality. Uh, they actually, you know, they, they made it into a love story. Those two were never, you know, a thing. But uh, the true story was that he shared the lottery ticket and shared the three million. Well, let's listen to what God has done and given the gift that he's given to us. Hear God's word, this is John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see what this is all about. What you've done for us, the good news of Christmas, may bring hope and joy and transformation into our lives. And may we not run from the light, but run to the light. And we pray that you'd open up our eyes, that we would see how good and how great and glorious you are. I ask in your name. Amen. Now, typically during the college football, this is not like the, the bowl season where you have all these bowls that you've never heard of before. I mean, I, I'm kind of waiting for like the glass mixing bowl and the metal bowl. And because uh, you've got all these names of bowls that you've never, you know, you have no idea. You'd have to kind of be a, an ostrich with your head in the sands to not see, though, that there are certain players that will, were under their eye black, they will put a scripture verse. And there was one guy in particular who made this very famous by the name of Tim Tebow. And what was the verse that he put on his eye black right there for you? John 3.16. And you can usually see, you know, fans out in the stadium. They're holding up a big banner. Okay, you can take that down now. That's about enough of Tebow there. Um, and fans will often, you know, hold up that verse. John 3.16. Well, why is this verse so important? And I, I think this is probably, some have argued, these 25 words in Greek are the greatest words ever written. And because they, they tell us about the gift. They tell us why Jesus came. They tell us who sent him. They tell us why he sent him, what he came to do, where the mission was, who were the recipients, and how do I get this gift? I mean, it's all right there in John 3:16. And you have five verbs, four nouns, four conjunctions, two adjectives, and one adverb. And they're, they're all very, very important. So if you love English, I mean, this is a fun one to 
to break down. But the five verbs are loved. God so loved the world that what did love do? Love gave. And so that's part of why we give gifts at Christmas is out of love we want to bless and give to one another. And then believes, he who believes shall not perish but have. So there's your five verbs. Your nouns, and I didn't do pronouns, just the nouns, is God, for it's, and then the Son. God so loved the world that he gave his Son. But I'm sorry, I jumped over the world. And that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's your nouns. Then your conjunctions, which are very important in this verse, is it begins with four. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son in order that, those two that's are different in the original language of different words, but the, the second one there is, it's a purpose clause, in order that. And then uh, he gave his only son um, that whoever believes in him should not perish. And then the last conjunction is but, but have eternal life. I mean, this is great news. And then the adjectives are very important. You have the only son, and the word here is monogenes, which is a very particular word to the Gospel of John. If you're familiar with the, the prologue in John 1.14 and 18, twice it talks about the monogenes, the only begotten. Pretty big term in the Nicene Creed, right? He's begotten, not made. Okay, Jesus didn't uh, begin here at... at at Genesis, or John 3.16, he began long before Genesis. He was the creator, and now he's being sent into the world. But he already was as God, and now he becomes a man. But he's the only begotten. It's God's only son, and he gave him to us. And that we, we also see that those who believe in him not only have a life, but eternal life. There's the adjectives. And then you get to this adverb, which is a bit tricky. Tricky enough that I call Mike Pfeiffer to say, you, or Mike, Mike Nola, you've got to explain this to me. He knows his Greek. And um, this is a tricky one because the adverb is the word so, for God so loved the world. And I was reading this week of someone who said that it's words like so that make uh, learning so difficult. Don't you think it's so? You know, the word so can mean many different things. But in John 3.16, it can be basically interpreted one of two ways. Let's see how you've always been interpreting it in your mind. The one interpretation is to see the so, so love the world, as to refer the ex to the extent or the amount of God's love for the world. As the translation of the message by Eugene Peterson says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That's one understanding of God so loved the world. The other meaning for so is to convey the manner or the way that God loved the world. And that's the New Living Translation that says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Well, which is it? I think it's actually this latter translation is more accurate because this Greek word for so literally means in this way or thus. The adverb is steering us to see the connection
between the larger conversation. This is all a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, and he's telling you the connection between verses 14 and 15 of John 3 that tie into verse 16. Because John 3:16 starts with, for God. For, and it's part, what's the other part of the conversation? God has, this is how God loved the world. How did God love the world? And Jesus, you see, it makes us back up and say, what's going on here? Jesus is having this nighttime conversation with Nicodemus. And the first 20 of our verses are all of this story. And Nicodemus is what he would, he is what we would call a big dog. Okay? He's a member of the Sanhedrin. There's not that many of them. He's a Pharisee. He's respected. I mean, he's like the chancellor of the college. Isn't that just a... A great term. I mean, he's a chancellor. I mean, he's a member of the sand. He's big time. He's what we would call the big kahuna. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he says, Rabbi, we, we know that you're a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus begins to look at this impressive, religious, scrupulous man of virtue. A man of the scriptures. A big, big dog. And the first thing Jesus tells him is, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and you need to be born of the Spirit. And you can look at these verses because they're in your bulletin. Okay, and I'm, I'm on verse, around verse 7 right there. They're strong words to such an intelligent, religious man. And Jesus is making it clear to Nicodemus, your level of intelligence doesn't matter. Your pedigree, your family history, your, your scrupulosity, your Pharisee school that you went to, what teachers who taught you and discipled you, and your impressive titles of being on the Sanhedrin and being a Pharisee, they don't matter. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Doesn't do anything. And just as God's Spirit hovered over the waters of creation and the earth was firm, formless and void, and God had to say, let there be light, God has to bring the light into the darkness of our hearts to understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do, even someone as impressive and virtuous as Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is trying to get his intellectual arms around Jesus' metaphor of being born again. And he knows that Jesus can't possibly mean a baby being birthed again. Once it's come out, it doesn't go back in and can't come out. What do, you, what do you mean, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you're a teacher of the law, and you of all people, you should know the connection that I'm making between water and spirit. You know these things. You know the Ezekiel scroll and the prophecies of God promising to do something new. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You remember the prophecy in Ezekiel 36? And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your, all your idols, I will cleanse you. You can't cleanse yourself. And I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I promise of what God's going to do. 
And now Jesus is now coming as the fulfillment of the promise and telling this is what the Spirit's going to do. You have to be born again. The Spirit has to, do, has to take out a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh and open your eyes. And we call it regeneration. We call it new life. And as Jesus is reaching for an Old Testament example from the Jewish Scriptures to bring this home to Nicodemus, who he is, it all leads to verse 14. And you think, was Jesus going to say he's the fulfillment of the temple? The whole sacrificial system? Is he going to say he's the, the new Moses, the new Joshua, the new Jake, the new David? I mean, he certainly wants to hold up that he's, he's a lion. He's the lion of a hero. Or is he going to be the tragic hero and the fulfillment of the whole sacrificial system? Is he going to say he's the Lamb of God who takes away sins? Is he going to say that he's the temple and destroy this temple and in three days I'll, re, I'll rebuild it? Well, certainly Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He's the hero, but he's a tragic hero. He is our prophet and our priest and our, and our king. But here he refers to this obscure passage in Numbers 21 where the people of God were complaining, complaining, complaining. And they say to Moses, they spoke against God and against Moses, and they said in Numbers 21, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And I was reflecting on that this week. I was pretty convicted when you start to understand what the people of God were, were really saying. You see, they were not, it's not an accurate statement to say we have no food. That's how they begin with, we have no food. They had food, because he says that in the second part. There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So the food that God was providing is called worthless food. The Bible actually calls it manna, God's daily bread, his provision, his providing for the people of God. God was taking care of his people, yet they had flipped it around and they'd grown tired of it. They wanted a fancier food for their palate. They weren't content with God's provision, and now they refer to his provision as worthless that God isn't providing for us at all. We don't have any food, which was a whole lie. So what happened next? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died in Numbers 21. The people of God came to Moses and said to him, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now Jesus now is going to use this and bring this home to Nicodemus. And he says to Nicky, this Italian version, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God thus loved the world in this way that he had to put his son on a pole. 
do you get John 3.16? In this way. That was the way that God was going to declare his love to the whole world. Was to make him one that you could look to the pole, look to the cross, and you look on him. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, he says he's going to draw all peoples to himself. And Jesus says that when the Son of Man is lifted up, when he's on the ground, hoisted on this cross, you will know that I am, that I'm God, that I'm the tragic hero who's come out of love for the world, love for people, that I would die in their place and take their sins. And for all their poisonous, sinful bites where they have chomped down and complained and complained and complained and haven't been content with my provision and turned it around and said, I haven't provided for them at all and didn't see that I was good. They actually thought I was evil and thought I was bad. And God says, I love them still and I will go and I will die for them. And I will send my very son to die for them, that it would be the greatest gift that mankind would ever have. Because we're all reaping the consequences of sin. Sin brings misery. Sin brings pain. Sin brings conflict. Sin brings struggle, frustration emptiness, futility, and ultimately it brings something we all hate. It's called death. By sending his son into the world to die on a cross in our place, all the rest begins to be undone. And the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And so you can't separate the cradle from the cross. And so we sing about, you know, what child is this? Nails, nails shall pierce him through. Shall, you know, and you're singing this with what child is this? Like, that's part of the whole story. Is he, Jesus came on a mission, and his whole mission was because there was a problem. And the problem is, is that we will perish without him. It's not like we come to this text and we're neutral. That's the thing that Jesus just really rattles home here. You, Jesus says the most unsettling things, does he not? I mean, the first part of this sounded so good. First, 316 sounds good. 317 sounds good. 318? Do what? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Boy. And then the chapter just ends with, if he doesn't believe, the wrath of God remains on him. I mean, Jesus is saying, you're not neutral. You've already, you've already been bitten. The snake has already gotten you. The snake got you in the garden. It got every one of us. And we're all afflicted and affected by sin in every part of our being. And we are going to die by this snake. And we've all eaten of, the, of things that we shouldn't have eaten of and, and drank so deep from the shallow well that holds no water. And we've gone after all the things of this world that we thought would satisfy us. And the Bible just calls them idolatry, futility. And yet we've loved those things over God. And so the wrath of God remains on him or, or you know, he's condemned already, meaning we're already in trouble. We've already gotten the bad Report card, we're already on 
the naughty list. And when you think about the naughty list, you know, you think about, and I'm, I'm using the term from Santa Claus is coming to town and he knows if you've been naughty or nice. Well, well how have you been? I mean, we say, well, we're, we're decent people. The naughty list is those who violate the Ten Commandments. Do you even know the Ten Commandments? I mean, really. I mean, sin is breaking a violation of God's law. Do we even know? I mean, in today's world, people don't even know the Ten to even test themselves. Maybe we know them, but did you know that those laws are actually internal and not just external? So when Paul begins to apply the naughty list, he says the works of the flesh, right? That which of the flesh is flesh? What comes naturally out of the flesh? The works of the flesh are obvious, Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Is, am I watching Paramount, Hulu, Netflix, or Amazon Prime? Because that's just watching anything on TV. But it's not just TV. It's, it's my workplace. Huh, it's my neighborhood. Huh, that's my family. Huh, that's in my heart. That's in the mirror. This is us. We're all on the naughty list. Jesus says, do you know what defiles a person? It isn't what comes into what he eats. Jesus says what, what comes out of his mouth. He's saying it's our words. What comes out of the mouth, it proceeds from the heart. And that's what defiles a person because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And guess what comes out of the heart, Jesus says? He says evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. That's the naughty list. Evil thoughts and murder, that's the sixth commandment. Adultery, sexual immorality, that's the seventh commandment. Theft, that's the eighth commandment. And false witness and slander, that's the ninth commandment. I mean, Jesus just says, he just starts naming commandments. And he's saying, that's what comes out of your mouth. Sorry. And then it comes out, because it comes out of our hearts. So we, we actually really need this gift. You don't appreciate the gift. It's kind of like the person who's been delivered, and, and all of a sudden he's been delivered from, from jail. Unless you realize you're in prison to sin, like this, is, this, isn't any, this isn't very special to you. But interestingly, here Nicodemus has been hearing this from Jesus in just a few short, short years. I mean, Jesus' ministry was only three years. Nicodemus would be looking right up at that pole and seeing Jesus skewered on a cross. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, we're told in John 19, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation so that all the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had crucified, been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once out came blood and water. 
He who saw it's born witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that it was prophesied not one of his bones will be broken. In another place, scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. What we see is that Nicodemus got it. The virtuous man saw that all of his virtue was nothing and that what he needed was a savior to save him from his sin. And Nicodemus is now a disciple of Jesus. He looked to the pole and he looked and saw that the one who was lifted up would draw people to himself, that this is God's son, that he's, he's the one who saves us from our sin, that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But what must we do? We don't do anything, but we do believe. It's not an act. It's a heart issue. It's, not, it's something you earn or not by works. It's not a doing thing. It's a being thing. It's a belief. You see, in the mess that we have made, we're all undone. And so we are just like the people of God who have been bitten by the fiery serpent and all of our complaining and all of our arguing and our bitterness. And interestingly, I love how this John 3.16 is couched between two narratives. You have Mr. Virtuous, Nicodemus, and Mrs. Unvirtuous in the next chapter. And some of you might be thinking, well, this is great for Nicodemus, but what about me? I mean, I have really blown it with my life. I have, I have made a mess of it. And certainly this woman who's coming to the well, the reason she came when she did is because nobody would be there. And she had had five husbands, and now she's with, an, with an, you know, another. And she's not married. And she's embarrassed. She's a scandal. Jesus is not ashamed. He is not afraid of her. He is not recoiled back because of her sin. Rather, he goes to her. He must go to Samaria. He must go through Samaria to find this woman, to set her free, and to give her the gift and you know what Jesus says to her? If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She got the living water. She left her bucket behind, and she ran into town. She who had drunk at the well, now she's drinking from the well that will never run dry. How about you? Are you still trying to suck the broken cisterns of this world that hold no water? I love this song by Andrew Peterson. And it's called um, is it Con The Good Confession. And these are some of the lyrics from this song. I drank so deep from the shallow well, only to thirst again. While I sang the hymns at the summer camp, then I rocked and rolled with a lousy band.
till I heard a song that took my hand and led me home. I believe he's the Christ, son of the living God. I believe he's the Christ. And all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And though I kick and scream, love is leading me. And every step of the way, his grace is making me. With every breath I breathe, he's saving me. And I believe that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. Have you come to know this gift at Christmas? Do you know that it's by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not your own doing? It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody can boast. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 5. Five times, five times he wants to tell us about the gift. And each time he refers to the gift, it's called a free gift. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass because of Adam and Eve, of eating in the garden and listening to the serpent and ate of the tree, Many died through that. We all died in him. But much more now have the grace of God and the free gift. By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass, and it brought condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through the one man, we all die, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus is the one man who gives the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness, the gift of justification, the gift of eternal life. Have you received the free gift? What do you do when somebody gives you a gift? You have to receive it, open it, enjoy it, love it. Receive that gift this Christmas. It's the best gift that's ever been given. Let's pray. Father, we know acutely in our heart of hearts that the wages of sin is death. But Lord, we thank you that the story doesn't end there. We thank you that the the free gift of God is now eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, we thank you. And may that gift, may it put all the other gifts in perspective. May they all pale in comparison. And may we be content with the food that you're providing and not complaining of where we, we have wants. And many of those wants are and over-desire. And so still our hearts, may they be at rest in you. We ask in your name. Amen.